right, and so, so happy to be here um, today celebrating, uh, man, stop two on the journey to the cross, and, um, and here we are right inside of the Easter season, and man, this is the season where we're going to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Come on, somebody. This is the most important thing um, for us as Christians is the resurrection, the season where we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. I, I said this last week, but I, I want to tee it up in the message um, today that, that you've got to understand this. And maybe you don't understand this. Maybe you're new to this whole thing of being a Christian. Maybe you're not even a Christian yet. Um, the resurrection of Jesus, the fact that He died and did not stay dead is the foundation of our faith. It's the, the hinge in which everything works off of is that our God died, but that He rose again. You, you've got to understand this if you're going to be a Christian, that, that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins, that He was laid in a tomb and He did not stay dead. Come on, somebody. That He's not dead now, that He is alive, that He is seated at the right hand of the Father, that His Spirit dwells on the inside of us. This is the season we're celebrating, the resurrection of Jesus Christ and and over the last couple of weeks, I was, I was praying about, God, where do you want to take us? Uh, because how many of y'all know this? Just as your pastor, I, I don't want to go anywhere that he ain't going. Come on, somebody. I want him to take us on a journey. And, and as we lean into the, the Easter season, you know, I was, I was praying about this and, and I was thinking about the resurrection and I was thinking about the cross. And, and you know, really, but before you can get to the resurrection of Jesus, you have to go through the cross because he couldn't be rose again if he wasn't dead. Are you tracking? And then I was praying about this, thinking about this, and Lord, where do you want to take us? And and I realized though, but you you can't even get to the death without the life. That the life of Jesus was was so significant for us that that you can't get to the cross. Without the journey to the cross, you can't get to the resurrection without the cross. You can't get to the cross without the journey that Jesus took uh, to the cross. I want you to think about the intentionality of God here. God didn't send Jesus to this earth and in a week He was crucified and then He went to, to the grave and then was resurrected. But, but, but Jesus was born in a manger and a baby and He grew up uh, like you grew up. And, and He was a human like we were human, yet He was fully God, which is hard to comprehend or even understand that, that there was a, a life Jesus had. I, I want you to see the intentionality of God here. Uh, the, the early life of Jesus is, is not really recorded in great detail in the Bible. There are a few little moments that we see. But when you get to the life of Jesus, the later life, the ministry, when He began to heal people and He began to, to raise people from the dead, the, the Bible lists that in great detail inside of the Gospel. It lists in great detail the, the journey to the cross, the, the life that Jesus lived. There, there was a process leading up to, to Jesus' death. The, the, the Bible records His life in great detail, but he, I said this, and this is kind of my thought behind it. His, his death was instrumental. His resurrection was pivotal. And His life leading up to those moments were a display of God's heart for humanity. That's why Jesus came was 
to reveal the heart. Uh, the journey to the cross serves as an example for us as believers. It's it, the life of Jesus, the way He interacted, sit up, the way He interacted with people, the way that He healed people. My kid over here laying on the front row. The way He, he raised people from the dead, the way that He spoke to people, the way He pulled Zacchaeus out of a tree, the way He spoke to the woman at the well. They're a display of God's heart for us. That's what the journey of the cross is. That's the, the journey we're, we're taking and have taken over the last couple of weeks. The journey to the cross. The, the, the resurrection was our victory. The cross was our redemption. Listen to me. But the life of Jesus was our directive. Y'all didn't seem like y'all got that. His life was an example for us as Christians on how we should live and think about people and see people and operate inside of our everyday life. That's the reason it's recorded in the Bible because it is a directive for us as Christians. You see, for hundreds of years, religion had showed God's people God's hand, but Jesus came to show God's people God's heart. You've got to get this. You've got to understand this. Your, your salvation will not mean as much to you as it should if you can't understand the heart behind why God sent Jesus to the cross. It'll mean more to you if you can understand the heart behind why God didn't leave Jesus dead, but that He rose again on the third day. That's why I believe a lot of Christians live a really apathetic Christian life is because they don't fully grasp the reason and the heart behind why God Send Jesus to this earth. Why the journey of the cross is so important to us. Are y'all with me this morning? Because I know this. The religion shows you God's hand. Jesus was the manifestation of God's heart on the earth for us. He was the display of how much God loves us on the earth in physical form. I believe if I can get you to see His heart, it'll change the way you see yourself. And the good thing about us is when we, the way we see ourselves changes, it changes the way we see other people. And that's the journey we're taking to today. And, and over the next couple of weeks, good Lord willing, we're gonna we're gonna walk this this journey to the cross. That, that's really what this series should be called. It shouldn't be called the journey to the cross. It should be called the journey to the heart. You know, your salvation, if you can catch His heart, will, will mean so much more to you. The, the Father's heart is that it would not stop with us, but it would change the way we see other people. So let's start today. Are you all ready to go? Let's start. Stop two on the journey to the cross. Let me, let me catch you up. Matthew chapter 12, verse 9 is where we're going to start. But let me put this in context in the life of Jesus because this is going to make sense. You guys do understand the Bible isn't a storybook written with fictitious characters. It was real recorded history in time from cover to cover, from that leather cover, it, it, from, from, from the table of contents in the front to the maps in the back. It is the inspired Word of God. Y'all understand that? Yes. And so where we pick up in Jesus' life is, is Jesus has stepped into ministry and He's healed some people. He's, 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 he's done some miracles. He's, he's, he's portraying the Father's heart to all of us. And, and at this pocket of time where we're at, um, 
Jesus does something really significant that I believe shows us God's heart. His ministry is taking shape. The Father's heart is on full display. He, up to this point, Jesus has called His disciples. He's healed many. He's affecting the world and changing the world around Him, which is the reason He came. All of these things are, are, are building, building steam. He, he's preached. He's healed. He's his actions are becoming more and more well known throughout the region. You, you, you understand, like if today, if, if we walked down in the parking lot and people who had leprosy didn't have it anymore, and people who didn't have arms had arms, and people who had died had been raised back to life, the world would know about it really quick. Are y'all with me? The same is true back then. The word um, of all of the things that Jesus was doing was spreading Really quick, he's pastored people. He sent out his disciples to minister to people. A lot of great things are taking place in Jesus' life in this, this moment. He's changing the world around him in real time. But with all of the good that Jesus is doing, Jesus is upsetting the balance of control that religion has had on God's people for centuries. Not only is He doing all of these good things, He's doing what the Father sent Him here to do. He's raising people from the dead, and, and he's, he's healing blind eyes, and He's setting the mission of the Gospel into place. But what He's doing is He's bumping up against the religious elite and the control that religion has had over people for, for thousands of years. You remember I told you religion shows you God's hand, but Jesus came to show you God's heart. And you understand that the basis of religion is control. It's that we can get you to act this way and sound this way and sing this way and do it this way. If we can get you to feel like you're never good enough to earn it, then we can be the one that's... Oh, You understand this is the basis of religion. So, so his, his ministry and His way is bumping up against the religious, the religious elite of the day. And here we find Jesus bringing this new message of freedom. Religion is bondage and and Jesus came to bring freedom. Right, he even says in Luke chapter 4, verse 18, it says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me. This is after he gets tempted by the devil. He says, Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of the sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to, procru- to proclaim the year. Uh, come on, somebody. Jesus came to set us free. To set us free from sin, to set us free from shame, to set us free from the bondage of religion, to start a new way, a better way, a new covenant, a better covenant that would lead us to the very heart of God. That is the the journey we're taking together. And man, I'll tell you this, if you could, this is another sermon for another day, but if you could get a grasp of the freedom that Jesus died, came, and died for you to have, you'd live differently inside of your everyday life. Are y'all with me this morning? Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12, verse 9. Here's the story. So a cool little story. If you grew up in church, grew up anywhere around a felt board, you've heard the story of the man with the withered hand. Anybody ever heard this story before? None of you. Great, it's all going to be new for you today. The story of the man with the withered hand. I've read this story so many times, but 
But how many of you know you're never too old or you've never read the Bible too much for God to show you something new in a common place? Come on, somebody. Let, let, the, let the Word of God never become redundant or normal inside of our life. But man, every time we approach it, we approach it with the heart of God. Show me something new. Show me something I didn't know. And as I was reading this story this week, I believe it encapsulated the perfect heart of God for you. Because if you could understand His heart... It'll change the way you live your everyday life. Matthew chapter 12, verse 9. The Bible says, He, being Jesus, went on from there and He entered there. Say it with me, synagogue. And a man was there with a withered hand. And they asked Him, they being the Pharisees, Him being Jesus, asked Him, is it lawful for you to heal on the Sabbath. This is this little first little part here is the fundamental reason why you should go to church every Sunday. You know why you should go to church every Sunday? Because Jesus went to church every Sunday. Come on, somebody. Anybody ever ask you why you go to church every Sunday? Because Jesus did. Come on, somebody. So they might accuse him. Verse 11. Jesus said to them, gives them this story, this image, this, this parable that he tells them. He says, Which one of you has a sheep? If it falls into the pit on the Sabbath, who would not take hold of it and lift it out? You see that very strict rules on the Sabbath. It's funny how religion always goes beyond what God says. It always adds to what God says as if what God says is not enough. There's so many steps you can take in a day. There's so many things you can do today. You can't do this. You can't do that. It's limits. It's interesting that religion always put limits between God and people and Jesus came to bring freedom and to create no limits between God and people. Are y'all with me this morning? He says, which one of you has a sheep if it falls into a pit on, the, on a Sabbath will not take hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful for you to do good on the Sabbath. This is where we're, we're, we're going to lean in here. Little bitty story, so powerful. Such a display of God's heart. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And the man Stretched out his hand. Jesus didn't stretch out his hand. Jesus didn't touch him. Je Jesus said, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched out his hand and was, say it with me, restored. Healthy like the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against Jesus on how they would destroy Him. Man, I love this little moment that God picked to put inside of the Bible of all of the interactions that God had with people, of all of the moments, the encounters He had with people on displaying the Father's heart. I love that God picked this one and put this little bitty story inside of the Bible. Out of all of the interactions that Jesus had that are not recorded in the Bible, I'm so glad that this one, that this one is. There's so much of the Father's heart on display inside of this little story tucked inside of Scripture. And I believe today that you're going to leave different because you're going to see God's heart rather than God's hand. Here's the first thing I want you to, that we notice about the heart of God inside of this, this little story. Here's the number one thing. I want you to write this down. That God's heart is to do the impossible for me. That God's heart is to do the impossible for me. Oh, I do that a hundred times a week. 
that God's heart is to do the impossible for me. Verse 9, He went on from there and He entered, notice with me, their synagogue. And the man was there with the withered hand and they asked Him, the Pharisees asked Jesus, is it lawful for you to heal on a Sabbath? You see, what's interesting about this is the Pharisees had lived a life where they understood God, where they had their mind wrapped around God, where they understood how God worked. They understood the mechanisms in which that He was to operate inside of their life. And then Jesus steps on the scene, which is different than God's hand. He is God's heart. And they have no idea what to do with Jesus inside of this moment. They can no longer understand or put Him in a a box, so they begin to question Jesus. You see, the, the, the question that the Pharisees asked Jesus revealed to us, listen to me, revealed to us our propensity to place limits on God. Y'all don't ever do that? To place limits on God. We by nature reduce God down to the power in which we can understand Him. Y'all don't do that? We, we want a God we can understand. That, that's the goal. That's the, the pursuit for all of us. We, we want to be able to understand Him, right? And, and that is a worthy pursuit. But, but I'm going to tell you this this morning. If you serve a God you can understand, you, He cannot do the impossible inside of your life. This is what he shows us inside of this story. This, this comes from our own human condition and also the trappings of religious influence. It also comes from our need we have to understand God, to put God into a practice or a message or a method. A way in which he must operate. Is this making sense? It's been happening for thousands of years. We just want a God we can understand. In our attempt to understand Him, His heart, His ways, which is a worthy pursuit, we've reduced Him down to no more than a genie in a bottle that if we live right enough, give enough, rub it the right way, that He will make our dreams come true. That's not who God is. The problem with this is, is it places Him, His heart, and His healing power in a box inside of our life. When you reduce God down to something you can understand, you greatly diminish the power that He has to work in and through your life. But when you reduce Him down to something you, you can understand, you, you actually diminish the power of what He can do. A God you can understand requires no faith. A God you can understand cannot shock you. A God you can understand cannot shake off the grave clothes of someone that has died. A God you can understand cannot remove cancer from your body. Come on somebody. A God you can understand cannot do the impossible that you can't believe for because you think you understand Him. Does this make sense? I feel like I'm tripping over not only the stage, but my words. This is what we do, our, our nature. I, I want to understand God. I, I study God. Not, not, not because I'm a pastor, but because I'm a Christian. I study His Word. I want to find out about Him. How does it work? How can I think like He thinks? How can I walk like He walks? How can I talk like He walks? How can I do the things He did? In my effort to understand Him, if I am not careful, I will reduce Him down to the power at which I can understand Him. And He no longer will be able to do the impossible in my life. How many of y'all are with me this morning? This is what this story shows us. That God's heart is to do the impossible. 
A God you can understand can't and won't bring the breakthrough in your life when you do not deserve it. Isaiah 55, 8. Prophet Isaiah. One of the most foremost prophets in the entire Bible. He gives us this description of all of us good church people that think we've got God figured out. He says, for my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. And we usually, we usually hear this in context of like when something really bad happens in your life. You know, and some Christian walks up to you and they say, well, you know, his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His ways are higher than our ways. But I really think it's for the, the church people who think they've got God's method and mechanism figured out. Well, when we, when we have this happen, I was, well, we're all in it. This is, this is it, right? We, we have methods. He says, our, my ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts, declares the Lord. For the heavens are higher than the earth. So my ways are higher than your ways. And my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. When you serve a God, you can understand. You start using the word impossible a lot. You start living in a way in which you believe you're powerless over the circumstances of your life. Yes, with man, with his mind, with his ability, with his reasoning, there are impossibilities. But with God, all things are possible. Come on, somebody. If you can understand Him, it's a scary place to be. Because God's heart is to do the impossible in your life, Matthew 19, verse 26, but Jesus looked at them and said, with man, you better believe there are going to be things that are impossible. With man, there are going to be impossibilities. When you get your advice from other people, they're going to tell you it's never going to work out. That can't happen to you. That won't ever happen to you. Well, I, my aunt died of that same disease. Come on, somebody. But when you understand that with man, things are impossible, but with God, all things are impossible. changes the way you see your life. It changes your life, but it not only changes your life, but it changes, changes the way you see other people. If we're going to reach the redemptive purpose, because I believe God has a purpose for, for us here at New Life together. If, if I'm going to reach the redemptive purpose for my life, if grace is going to reach the redemptive purpose for her life, then she's got to live, and this is where all my church people are going to say amen because you all know the Bible verse. She's got to live with an Ephesians 3.20 mentality, not a God she can understand. If we're going to reach the people God's called us to reach, because this ain't, this ain't all about us, this up in here. This is nice. It's fun, right? Great are you. Coffee's good. But, but if we're going to fulfill the Great Commission, the mission of the church, which is to reach the lost, th then we've got to have some Ephesians 3.20 people in here. Are y'all with me this morning? The world needs some Ephesians 3.20 Christians. God has had enough of Christians who could understand Him, so He sent Jesus. I, I believe that, that in this moment, that where we are in this pocket of time, can I just be weird for a minute? I, I, I believe, I believe that God is tired 
of church buildings and pastors who think they understand God and His mechanism and His ways. So He's sending a new way, which is the message of Jesus, the actual church person that doesn't gather up in a pew, but that goes out into their life and reaches people for the glory of God and shares the gospel with them. That's what I believe is going on. Right? Come on, somebody. Are y'all with me? God has had enough of Christians who could understand Him for the last decade of the business church. And now His Spirit is hovering over this region looking for some Ephesians 3.20 believers. Some that believe that, that now too is Him who is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all we could ask or even think. Come on, somebody. Right, that's what Ephesians 3.20 says. It says, Now to Him who is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all we could ask or even think. Listen to me. God's heart is for you to do the impossible. Say this with me. Say, God's heart, God's heart. for me is to do the impossible. Let me tell you this. If you believe that, you'd pray different. If you really believed that God's heart was to do the impossible in your life, you wouldn't pray, Lord, lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. And if I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul. You wouldn't pray, God, I just thank you. Bless this McDonald's to the nourishment of our body. Do a miracle in Jesus' name. That's what I do. Hey, this Red Bull is not going to give me diabetes in Jesus' name. It's sanctified, holy. If you really believe that God wanted to do the impossible in your life, you wouldn't pray little safe prayers to protect your heart. You'd pray bold prayers that move mountains. You'd pray the kind of prayers that would shake the gates of hell. You'd pray the kind of prayers that when you came out of your prayer time, people could see that you were different. People could see that you had changed. People could see that you had been touched by the One who has created the earth and everything in it. The One who left His Spirit here to dwell on the inside of you. If you believed that God wanted to do the impossible, that His heart for you was to do the impossible, you'd pray different. You'd pray different. You believe differently too. If you believed, that's why Jesus came to reveal the heart of God to us. If God's heart is that He wants to do the impossible for me, if you really believe that, you'd believe differently. You'd quit walking around your life in a cycle of defeat and start stepping into the great things that God has for you inside of your life. Come on, somebody. If you really believe that God wanted to do the impossible for you, that that was His heart, was to surprise you, to shock you, to, to show you something you didn't know. You'd also see others differently. You'd see people that no matter what they've done, no matter how far they're gone, no matter how bad the world says they are, they're just one compassionate, caring Christian away from being the person who has a touch of God on their life and, and sparks revival in their family and their grandchildren are changed because of that moment. You begin to see people differently. When you believe that God can do the impossible, well, great, well, I believe He can do the impossible in this guy right over here. And I'm going to share the gospel with him. You know why? Because God can do the impossible. I believe He can. That's His heart. He wants to do the impossible. He can take this guy from the alley uh, to a stage where he can preach him and, and, and save thousands of people in one moment. You'd pray differently if you believed God wanted to do them. That He wanted, that His Desire was to do the impossible. You'd believe for that, that, that unsaved family member to come to Jesus. You'd just start praying. Man, come on, God. I know that you're going to find them. I know right now you're seeking them out. Jeremiah 32.27 Behold, I am the Lord God of all flesh. Come on, somebody. Some of y'all need to speak this over your problem today. Is anything 
too hard for him. Nothing's too hard for my God. My God, my God struck the anvil of eternity and set time into motion. My God flung the stars in the sky. My God set the planets in its orbit. My God created the earth and everything on it in six days and then took some time off on the seventh. My God shaped me and formed me in my mother's womb before he knew me. He knew how many hairs were on before I was formed. He knew how many hairs were on my head. Come on, somebody. If you really believe that God's heart was to do the impossible, in your life you'd live differently. That's his heart. A God you can understand can't do the impossible. That's why I believe that we can, we can make a big impact in this region for the glory of God. I believe that. Uh, people ask me this week, why'd you start a church in Hydro? I said, because God told me to. They said, there ain't nobody lives in Hydro. I said, well, you come check out our church one day. Because they drive from a long way. And the people from Carnegie said, Amen. <laughs> Listen, I believe God can do the impossible. I believe His heart is to do the impossible. I've seen Him do the impossible in my life. I don't understand it, but I know He wants to do it. So I believe we can actually change this region for the glory of God. I believe. Here's what I'm believing for. Do you all want to know what I'm praying for? Because I pray differently because I believe God can do the impossible. I'm, I'm believing. We've had 26 people receive salvation. And this ain't like some number I made up. You all see them every week. I'm believing God. If y'all want to pray, if y'all want something to pray for, I'm believing God. We've seen 26 people saved, rededicated, saved, sealed into redemption in, in six months. Every single day, I am on my knees and I'm praying and believing God that we're going to see 26 people in our Easter services alone receive salvation. Like seriously, between Good Friday, Palm Sunday, and Easter Sunday, I am believing God. That Why? Because I believe God can do the impossible. And that would be impossible to man. But with God, all things are possible. That's why I'm believing that these kids over here, right over the next season, we're going to invest significantly in the next generation. And you're going to have to give more than you give now. But, but I believe, I believe that we're going to raise up the next generation of God's people. That, that, that Grace is not just somebody over there to be babysitted, but that she's going to be the next worshiper that turns a generation back to the heart of God. That, the next, that, that, that one of those kids over there, your kids, is going to be the next preacher that sparks revival in a region. They're going to be the next healing person that has the power to heal people in their fingertips. That has the they're going to be Christians who don't just take up space in a church, but they're going to belong to the army of God who is advancing year over year inside of the earth. That's why I can believe that, because I believe God, His heart is to do the impossible in my life. So y'all can believe with me or not. Y'all can pray with me or not. But I believe God's heart. This story shows us that He wants to do the impossible in, in my life. Let, 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 me just, let me just say this to you. The heart will take you where your mind never can. The heart of God will take you where human reasoning cannot get. Number two, second thing, number two. This is God's heart on display, the journey to the cross. Isn't this fun? I've preached a lot of series in my life, but I'm going to tell you, this one right here has been so fun. The second thing is, put it up there. Nothing is more valuable to Him than me. 
Do you believe that? That nothing, nothing, nothing. You know what that means? Nothing. Nothing is more nothing is more valuable to God than me. He said to them, verse 11. I love how Jesus gives them this little story. He says, which one of you has a sheep? And if it falls into the pit on a Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out. Of how much more value? He doesn't say 10% more value. <laughs> he doesn't say they're 75% more valuable than sheep. He doesn't say they're 86. He says, uh, how much more valuable is a man than a sheep? Well, to them, not much. But to the Father of the universe, it's immeasurable. Once again, Jesus reveals God's heart for us. You see, it was not lawful to do anything that would be considered work on the Sabbath. And the Pharisees were accusing Jesus of doing just that. If He healed the man, He was practicing medicine on the Sabbath and that would be considered work. I love how Jesus used this illustration of sheep to put it right back in their face. I love it because He used the illustration of sheep because they weren't sheep. They were wolves. So they would understand the relationship and what he was talking about. You know, Jesus used this illustration for us as sheep a lot in the Bible. He uses this illustration of sheep in my, my favorite part of the Bible, the back half of Luke chapter 15. If you've been here for more than 10 minutes, you've heard me say, in the back half of Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells three stories. He tells a story about a lost sheep. He tells a story about a lost coin. And he tells a story about a, a, story about a lost son. It's really not about a son. It's about a father. And Jesus gives them this, this illustration of a sheep, but, but I was thinking about this other illustration. So he told them this parable, Luke chapter 15, verse 3. This is another point in the Bible. He used the same illustration in another interaction with religious people. He, he said, what man of you having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, nothing is more valuable to him than you. If he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until, everybody say until, until he finds it. Not, not, not the first time, not the second time, not the tenth time, but until he finds it. Uh, he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders. He lays it on his shoulders. He lays it on his shoulders. He don't tell the sheep to go back home. He don't point the sheep in the right direction, but he puts the sheep on his shoulders and he carries it back to the safe. God, I wish y'all. He carries it back to the safety of the flock. It ain't the sheep's effort. It wasn't the sheep's mind. It wasn't even in the sheep's directive to go in the right direction. So Jesus picks up the sheep, puts it on his shoulder, and carries it back to the safety of the flock. I am more valuable to him than anything. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors saying, Rejoice with me, I found the sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the 99 religious who need no repentance. Jesus shows us the individual love that the Father has for each of us. That the Father has for all of us. Look at me, without distinction. Did you know God loves you? 
just as much as the person sitting next to you? Did you know God loves you just as much as the person that you hate? There is there's no distinction between the love of the Father. It, it is all the same and it's individualized for each of us. Nothing is more valuable to Him than me. I'm not just one of the sheep lost in the herd. I'm not just one of His countless creations, but that we are uniquely and individually important and under the care of the Father. Come on, somebody. This is what Jesus is showing us. That God is not, listen to me, God is not the keeper of the orphanage doling out food at mealtime. God is the Father who's passionately pursuing and in love with the ones that He created more than anything on this earth. Nothing is more valuable to Him than me. Nothing is more valuable to Him than me. I want you to notice, this is so important for, for each of us. You see, if you actually believe that nothing was more valuable to Him than you, let, let me just say this like to me, right? Okay, because I don't have all this figured out. If you really believe, Mark, that nothing was more valuable to Him than you, you would talk to yourself differently. If you really believed that nothing was more valuable to Him than you, you would treat yourself differently. If you really believed that nothing was more valuable to Him than you, you wouldn't let people treat you the way that they treat you. If you really believe that nothing was more valuable to Him than you, you wouldn't call yourself stupid when you make a mistake. You, you, you wouldn't call yourself a failure. If you really believed, come on everybody, that nothing is more valuable to Him than me. Once, if you really believed that nothing was more valuable to Him than you, you wouldn't believe the voice of anything or anything that spoke anything or anyone that spoke things to you that are contrary to what He says about you. Once you've settled it in your heart that you're His, that you're His sheep, you'll begin to see things differently in your life. John 10.27, right? My sheep know my voice. And I know them. That's interesting. Isn't it? I give them eternal life. I am the source of everything they need. And they will never perish. And no one, everybody say no one, will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. And I and the Father are one. 
Nothing is more valuable to him than me. I don't think we tell ourselves this enough. I don't think we read this enough. I don't think we pray like this enough. I belong to someone. I belong to the creator of the universe. I belong to the immovable, unshakable, incorruptible creator, father, savior, redeemer of the world. I am the head and not the tail. I am above and not beneath. Come on, somebody. This isn't just word of faith. This is something inside of you knowing that you belong to something greater. Nothing in this world can touch me because I belong to the Father. And the Father, I am more important to Him than anything on this earth. It would change the way you live if you understood that reality. Nothing is more valuable to Him than me. I am valuable to Him. I am more valuable to Him than any label anyone can put on me. I am so valuable to Him, in fact, that He'd send His one and only Son to die for me so that He could spend eternity with me. And this is good Sunday morning preaching. But I'm telling you, if you actually believe this, if I actually believe this, repeated this to myself in every circumstance, I'd live differently. Hey, look at me. He loves you. He really, 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 really loves you. More than you think is possible. He loves you that much. No matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, He loves you. He's the good Father. Number three, here's a good one. This is what it shows us if Jesus came to show us God's heart, and that's what we're really taking a journey to is the heart of God through the life of Jesus. He shows us that, that He is able if I am willing. Look at what He says to the man. He said to the man, verse 13, He says to the man, Stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out. And it was restored. I want you to notice this. Are y'all with me? Y'all got a little more attention span? Okay. Jesus did absolutely nothing. He just said, stretch out your hand. Jesus didn't spit in the ground and make mud and rub it on the guy's hand. He didn't lay hands on the man. He didn't wash him in holy water. He didn't even pray to the Father. This is what I love. He didn't mention anything about the forgiveness of the man's sins before he healed him. He said, stretch out your hand. Now, he was in church. So there may be an implication. You know, whatever. He still had sin, I guarantee you. Especially if he was in church. He simply gave the man an option to stretch out your hand. There's, there's more to just the stretching out of his hand. Though. This, this is where the sermon gets real good. You see, he, he asked him to stretch it out. I'm a genius, just so you know. I'm just kidding, bro. I went to school, I'll keep sickles. Barely made it through high school. 
But he says, stretch out your hand, which is an implication that his hand, in fact, was not stretched out. Right? So he had to tell him, stretch out your hand. Why? Because his hands wasn't stretched out. Why? Because, why? I don't know. That's weird. Why, wouldn't he, why, why didn't he have his hand showing? I don't know. Probably the same reason any of us never, ever show our dysfunction around other people. Now it makes sense because no one likes their weakness or deformities or problems to be in plain view. I don't. We do our best to hide them, don't we? Y'all don't? Can I get an amen, please? There's no length at which we will go to to hide our deformities, our dysfunctions, our shriveled hand. And there's a, there's a good reason. There's a good reason we, we hide it all. Because it's not acceptable in, in public. And what's interesting, man, this is where it gets good. What's interesting about this story is not what, not even who, but where this moment and miracle takes place. Y'all remember where they were? They were in church. We don't like to show our weakness. One, because society conditions us to hide it. There's this, there's this compulsion of perfectionism. Don't all y'all's life look great on social media? Because mine does. Like, I ain't posting to y'all when River flushes an apple down the toilet and I throw a fit because all my kids do is tear things up. Y'all didn't get that part, did you? And my wife and I got in a 10-minute fight because I always blame the kids. It's, how do I even know it's the kids that mess the toilet up? And, you know, I pull it up and there's an apple that River flushed down the toilet. <laughs> it's like, that's why I accuse your children. <laughs> huh, Grace? I'm telling mom. She said, I'm telling mom. Hey, what happens in church stays in here, okay? But what's interesting, let me show you this. Let me show you this because this will change your life. As he was in church, the reason we don't show our weakness is because we've been conditioned in society, but most importantly in church, that our weakness is not welcome in this presence. Right? That's why y'all come to church. Amen, brother. Praise God. How are you? You know? Doing well. How are you doing? I'm fine, blessed, and highly favored, walking in divine health, moving from victory to victory. Why do we do that? Because we've been conditioned that your problems are not welcome here. And by that, we've surmised that if this is the place God is, then my problems must not be welcome in His presence either. Jesus goes beyond the contrary to show us in this moment that not only should our problems be welcomed in church, should be open in church in the safest place that there should be on this earth, but our problems are welcome in His presence. That He's willing if I'm able. He's able if I'm willing. This, this is incredible. That's why our number one value here at New Life is to love people right where they're at. Really, that's why. 
Because the church is the only organization that's synonymous for shooting its wounded. They will, let me tell you, they will throw you out faster than you can say grace. They do not have a great track record with people. I was in Jerry. Y'all got some time today? Oh, we're good. We're good on time. Jerry, I was in Jerry's. Took my family to eat. My, my, my little Willow and I, we did this this weekend or yesterday. And uh, she was my little helper. She's awesome. And uh, you were on the iPad or something, not helping. And uh, oh, yeah, you did help me in the very end. That's right. And uh, I look up on the board there at Jerry's where you pin up all kinds of whatever, you know, your business cards or whatever. And I don't really care for church people because I've been hurt by them. They're mean, they're nasty, they're judgmental. I just don't really care for it, the whole deal. And uh, I look up on the sign and it says, there is forgiveness for your murder you've committed, the murder you've committed in aborting your child. And then the other one was like, there is forgiveness for you for committing murder. There's two of them sitting there. And the other one said, abortion is murder. And I just grabbed them and jerked them off there and I handed them to the little lady behind the counter. I said, this is trash. My wife's like... <laughs> and she said, why do you do that? I said, well, because I wonder if Jesus encountered a woman who, who had walked through that in her life. I bet He would look at her and I bet He would say... I am so sorry that you thought that was the only choice you had. That's what we're trying to create here. A place where your problems are welcome in, in our presence and your, your problems are welcome in His presence because there is nothing that is outside the reach of God for our life. The restorating power of God that works inside uh, of our life. That, that, that's why love is our number one value. We love people right where they're at. That's why we fight to, because Christians are not, those kind aren't doing us a lot of service when we're talking about reaching the lost. That, that's why we fight to build a safe place for people to not be okay in. That's why we have a zero tolerance policy for a religious spirit, judgmental talk, and gossip. Brienne and I refuse to allow what Jesus shows in this story that is supposed to be a safe place, not a safe place, safe enough for you to expose your insecurities, your mistakes, and your shortcomings become anything less than that. Your problems are welcome here. Your insecurities, they're welcome here. Your battle with addiction is welcome here. Your infidelity is welcome here. Your lack of faith is welcome here. Your church hurt is welcome here. Because and only because it's welcomed in His presence. Because just like the man, if you're willing enough to expose it, to get honest about it, that you can step into the miracle that He already has waiting in your presence. Just like the man, the moment you're willing to get honest about it to stretch it out is the moment the healing begins to happen. Jesus shows us that if we are ready, He is willing. But we have to create the environment. Last thing, number four, last thing Jesus shows us. This is why I'm passionate about it, guys. And if you're new here, we just don't play those church games. We don't. You want to talk about me? You can go down the road. You want to talk about Nick? You can go down the road. You want to talk about Bobby? You can go down the road. That ain't the way we jive here. Number four, last thing. This is the most important. Jesus 
was willing. This is what this story shows us, the heart, the heart, the heart, the heart. Jesus was willing to die for our healing. That last line of that, that scripture, it says, and the, the Pharisees gathered together and conspired of how they would destroy him. You see, Jesus knew that the ultimate sacrifice, that his ultimate demonstration of the Father's heart would have to result in his death. As a matter of fact, the Bible records Jesus talking about his death three different times himself. Jesus was aware of the reality that your sin, my sin, our sin, past, present, and future, could only be overcome by his crucifixion could only be overcome by the blood that would drip from his back as the Roman soldiers beat him. The blood that dripped off the, the rugged cross at Calvary to the ground. His blood was shed. you got to understand this this morning that Jesus was willing to die for you. That He was prepared to die so that you could stand justified before the Father. He was willing to do what no other God would do. No other guru, no other belief system, nothing was willing to die for you other than Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.14 For the love of Christ controls us. Because we've understood this, we've concluded this, that no one has died for all. Therefore, therefore, all have died. And He died for, say it with me, that those who live might... Here's the reason He died. You want to know why He died? Not only so you could stand justified before the Father, but He died so that you would hopefully not live for yourself after that. That He might no longer live for themselves, but for the sake of for their sake, died and was raised. Jesus was willing to die for your healing. You, 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 you've got to... This is the Gospel. That His perfect blood was shed as the ultimate sacrifice for the forgiveness of our sins, past, present, and future. That, that, that once and for all, no matter what, we, we could stand justified before the Father. We, we could be made right with Him through the blood of Jesus that was shed for us. Never could we approach without a sacrifice, without man's effort. But now through Jesus, those who were once far off have now been brought near. Now we can boldly approach the throne of grace in our time of need. That's the Bible in case you want to know. Like I'm telling you, it was the blood of Jesus He was willing to die for us. That is the Father's heart. That He was willing to die for your healing. That we could be brought near to the very heart of God. That we could receive mercy and grace for all that we've done. This isn't the journey to the cross. This is the journey to the heart. 
You know what I think breaks the heart of the, God, the, heart of the Father? Because I am one. Is I think what really breaks God's heart is when you live a life with your head down in shame, never feeling like you really measure up, despondent, distracted, defeated. I think that really, I think that really, that really breaks, breaks God's heart when you live a life anything less than this life-changing reality is that He died to heal you. I think it breaks His heart when you live with your head down in shame, when you live a powerless life against the attacks of the enemy on your life. It has to break His heart with such a high price He paid for you to have it the other way. I don't think He's angry with you. But I think it breaks His heart because He knew what it took to get you to a place where you could look Him in the eye and know you're His. Where you could receive the redemption, the justification that you needed through the blood of Jesus. But you want to know what I think really breaks the heart of God even more than that? And it's only because I've studied the Bible and the life of Jesus. What literally breaks my heart what should break your heart is when His children are willing to receive the benefits from His enormous sacrifice, yet remain unwilling to pass that same opportunity on to those He's placed around them. I think that really breaks His heart more. That you would say, it's for me, but not you. You understand that's what you say. Right, I said it last week. When you say nothing, you say go to hell. It's a weight. It's a burden, isn't it? It doesn't feel good. When His children are willing to receive the benefits from this enormous sacrifice, yet remain unwilling to pass the same opportunity on to people that He's placed around them to share what He did for them to those who need it. Let me ask you this. If not you, then who is going to share that with them? If not you, then who? If not now, then when? When you've been through a class? When you become a pastor? You're a Christian. Right? We're Christians. We're made in the image of God to share the gospel with the good news, with the lost. That's why He came. Just to seek and save those that are lost. If I can see His heart, it'll change the way I see me. And if I see me differently, it'll change the way I see others. That's why we're here. You understand that's why we're here. I think it breaks His heart when we're willing to soak up all that eternity. But we're, we're too, we're too self-centered, too insecure, too focused on us to share it with the people around us. Come on, are you all with me? I know that don't feel good. It ain't supposed to. It should break your heart. Here's what I want you to do this week. I want to challenge you. Write these three things down. Get your phone out. Get your phone out, Sam. Write these three things down. You don't have your phone? Do you have your phone, Lizzie? Matthew, write it down for him. Text it to both of them. Here's what I want you to do this week. <laughs> Quit fighting. I want you to do this this week. I'm going to do it with you. 
And y'all, I tell you stories all the time, right? I tell y'all story. I showed y'all a story a couple weeks ago on this family that Brian and I are working on to try to get saved, the people I'm praying with. So I'm living this. Y'all got this, right? It's challenging. It's tough for me. For 10 years, I preached. And the only time I, I seen somebody get saved is when I was preaching. And, I, and God broke my heart for the lost. And so I changed. I have, to, I, I, have to, I have to change. Here's what I want you to do. Number one, I want you to pray with someone this week. Don't pray for them. Pray with them. You got to start there. Pray with somebody this week. Maybe it's somebody that works for you. Maybe it's somebody that works with you. I've never, ever had somebody that I said, hey, do you mind if I pray for you? I'd say, no. Well, maybe you have, but I haven't. Here's the second thing I want you to do. I want you to share with someone what you've discovered about God's heart this week. Just share it with them. Sam, when you're at school, just share it with them. Say, I didn't know that I was valuable to God. Did you know that? I didn't know that Jesus was willing to die for me. Here's the third thing I want you to do. This is, what, this is what the gospel is. This is why we're taking a little extra time. Is that okay? This is what it is. This is the third thing I want you to do. Come here. Is I want you to bring someone with you on your journey. Now, I'm not only talking to church, okay? Listen to me. Bring someone along the journey with you. Tell them what you're discovering. Tell them what God is saying to you. Tell them what God has done in your life. Tell them about how much God loves them. Bring someone along the journey with you. Right? Maybe it's to your small group. We had three new women at Tracy's small group on Monday night at, at Starbucks. It's awesome. Praise God. What, why? Because someone brought them with them? Now, now, now hear me, the message of the church for the last 20 years has been bring, 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 bring so we can get them saved. You, you understand, you can go out and lead someone to Jesus. We, we've all been down that road. I pounded that in y'all for six months. But br bring somebody along with, with you. I didn't realize how much, how much that Brian and I do that until that live where I had Grace on there on that Saturday night. And I said, Grace, what goes in there? I said, Grace, what's three things you would tell people about God? And she said, one, what were they? Do you remember what they were? Um, one, um, um, life is hard sometimes. Number two, God is with you. And number three, you can do anything with God's help. That's what she said. That's what bringing somebody on the journey looks like with you. I I'm believing for 26 people to get saved. Good Friday. Palm Sunday and Easter Sunday. That's my heart. That's my prayer. And we're not going to do it if y'all don't do these three things. We're not going to see the impossible happen. Do you, know how, do you know how awesome it would be if we saw 26 people receive Jesus in Easter? There, you can't hold me. You, I, you can't hold me back. But we're not going to get there if you don't pray with somebody this week. If you don't take this message out. Here, here I want to leave you with this. Last thing. For those of y'all that are like, man, is this guy ever going to shut up? I always tell, you always give young preachers advice that you never do. And I, I, always, I was telling Tommy, I said, listen, um, people have two reactions when you get done preaching. Number one is, um, is it over already? And number two is, I'm glad that's over. And so you always want to land on the first one. And, uh, you know, you got to have a good ending, a good opening, and you need to keep those close together. You know, like that's what I, and I don't ever do that. What breaks God's heart more than that 
is that when his kids are willing to receive the benefits from this enormous sacrifice, yet remain unwilling to pass that same opportunity on to the people that he's placed in their life. When I enter that beautiful city, far removed from earth's sorrow and care, I want to hear somebody saying, it was you that invited me here. When I'm at home in those mansions in heaven, and the saved all around me appear, I want to hear somebody saying, it was you who invited me here. To our Savior alone be the glory, whose spirit the witnesses did bear. Yet I might not have heard the glad tidings had you not invited me here. That should be our heart. It should break our heart. The lost in our lives should break our heart. God, I pray. I pray that this would break our hearts. I pray that we would go beyond being church people and be Christians who believe that we can lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Who believe that, that we can do things in Your name that are not possible on our own ability. God, I pray for courage, for boldness, for this church, this little church here, as they go out this week to pray with somebody, to tell somebody about God's heart, 